I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. America's Voice of Reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Really pleased to have joining us from Israel, Amos Gior, of course, from the University of Utah. And I wanted to get Amos's perspective over the weekend as we continue to follow closely what is happening inside of Israel, of course, with the moves, uh, many calling reform. Uh, really, I think it's a disaster when it comes to changing the way the judiciary functions uh, in the country. And uh, we know there were scheduled to be protests over the weekend. And uh, Amos, one, thanks for joining us on the line. I know it's been a hectic and crazy weekend for you there in Israel, and you're getting ready to fly back to Utah. Uh, but give us some perspective. What what did happen over the weekend? There were half a million of us demonstrating in a hundred different locations Saturday evening. Uh, we were in Tel Aviv, where there were 250,000 people. My sense is, having been to three demonstrations in eight days, that my side has a sense of optimism, obviously not all of us. The battle lines are clearly drawn between what we define as democracy against fascism. Uh, I use these words very deliberately because we both know that the moment that there are not separation of powers and checks and balances, a democracy cannot function. Right. And what the, you use the word reform and then disaster, I think was your word, the word reform, quotation marks, is, is the whitewashing of a word. Mm-hmm. The true intention here is to eviscerate the judiciary in its entirety. There have been various talks about trying to find some kind of compromise, but I think that's not going to happen. And the government will, I assume, at least for now, is hell-bent on passing these, but there's a process. Each bill has to have three, three separate readings. That has in the, the critical bills that has not happened yet. It's unclear what the U.S. administration will do. It's unclear what American Jews will do. It's unclear how much the incredibly organized resistance resistance movement will go. But there are clearly indicators that Prime Minister Netanyahu, um, as an Israeli journalist wrote last week about him. He's prepared for the last war. He's not prepared for this war. Mm. And, you know, civil resistance can take many shapes and forms. 99% has been, fortunately, nonviolent. Um, I think there were, in my case, in the, at the demonstration on Saturday, there were two catcalls directed at me, but, you know, catcalls are mild. There have been one or two instances of, of violence, but mild violence. I mean, violence is always awful. Mm. But I don't think anything really egregious 
the police are caught in the middle in many ways. The police minister is he himself. There are 53 indictments against him. He's been convicted eight times of incitement to violence and for violence himself, not as police minister, but in a previous uh, life. The government is, is committed to this, but, 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 remember, we're a parliamentary democracy. Right. There are 63 or 64 um, members of the ruling coalition, and all of our efforts are directed at, at the four or five who have been identified as maybe the weak links in those 63 or 64, and all efforts are directed at them, including regular demonstrations outside their house at one by one minister's house last Friday. There were over a thousand people at his house. That's a pretty regular occurrence. Mm-hmm. We'll see, but I, I, I am in the optimistic camp, fully cognizant of the extraordinary risks and dangers to our democracy. Yeah, and uh, a lot to unpack there. And let's—I uh, want to jump into a couple of those things quickly as uh, we move through. So, so one—the uh, fact that these bills go through these three different readings—that does create some some time in terms of that. Uh, Either a potential compromise, which seems very unlikely, but uh, I want to get to this, this last thing that you pointed out in terms of uh, the coalition, that you've got this coalition of 63, 64, uh, that is what keeps uh, Netanyahu as as the uh, the head. Uh, if there is one or two of those that were to break uh, with that, then would that trigger another election, or how does that cycle actually work? Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen. So if four or five of the the perceived weak links vote against it or abandon the government, then there would be a vote of no confidence. Would the vote of no confidence pass? The answer to that depends on the, I think it's five Arab-Israeli members of the Knesset of the parliament, how they would vote on it. Could that lead to a new round of elections? In the world of, of a thousand different scenarios, is that a possibility? Yes. How big of a possibility? I don't know. There's also been talk, which I don't see happening, that members of, of Netanyahu's party, the Likud party, will force him to resign. I don't see that there would be a Likud replacement for him. I don't see that happening. The, the rush is the following. Um, Passover is... I think in three weeks, and they would like to make significant progress before Passover, because I think they feel the longer this goes on, the more demonstrators there are. And at the demonstration on Saturday, there were uh, demonstrators holding signs that said, we voted for Likud, Netanyahu's party, but this is not the Likud we voted for. Mm. And 
in other of the hundred different locations where there were demonstrations, including in areas which are Likud strongholds, the number of demonstrators was pretty significant. Yeah, that gives people like me hope that what we call in our language the same right will come to their senses and they themselves will pressure those four or five so-called weak links in the government, mm. which is why Netanyahu is so, again, hell-bent on, on moving as quickly as he yeah. can. Yeah, oh, that's so interesting. And time does become such a uh, crucial part in all of that. We'll continue to track that. And before I let you race to the airport, Amos, I want to uh, get you to weigh in just quickly. Obviously, uh, over the weekend, the uh, talk of a a new agreement, a new relationship with Saudi Arabia, Iran, that was actually brokered by China. Uh, just give us a, a first blush uh, reaction to that. What does that mean? What does that mean for the U.S.? What does it mean for the region? So first of all, I have to put on my, my anti-Netanyahu hat. It's fabulous <laughs> because it shows to his voters here, because he keeps talking about his relations with the Saudis, his relations with the Saudis. It's like a mantra. Mm-hmm. And they, they fooled him. And as an anti-Netanyahu anti-Netanyahu perspective, it's outstanding. From a geopolitical perspective, we're going to have to see what exactly that means. The role of China, um, I think clearly the Saudis um, also gave the proverbial middle finger to the United States. But I assume that President Biden is more focused at the moment on the, the banking crisis in the U.S., which I'm sure you could talk about at length. Will it have any real impact? Time will tell, but from a narrow Israeli perspective, those of us who don't see Iran as a threat whatsoever, it's for us literally a non-issue, and in many ways brought probably a sarcastic, if not sardonic, smile to our mm. face. Uh, uh, great insight, as always. Uh, Amos Giora from the University of Utah, uh, calling us from Israel, and uh, travel safe, my friend. We look forward to talking with you Thank when you. you get back to Utah, and uh, much, much more to come uh, from this region of the world. Thanks for your perspective, Amos. Thank you. All right, we'll step aside for one last commercial break. We'll come back to some final thoughts on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Stick around. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.